welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Anya Crittenton, and I am a writer at Gay Star News, and this week I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts and a special someone in our fourth seat. But co-hosts, go ahead and say hi. Hi, I'm Hui Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And in our fourth chair this week um like i said is a very special someone it is my girlfriend philippa say hello hello my name is philippa kinley and i am an english teacher working in japan yay and there's a very important reason she is part of this podcast ht why don't you tell us what we're talking about this week yeah well philippa is not alone in the fourth digital seat at our podcast today (laughs) she is surrounded by a squadron of Pokemon, and in particular, two Pikachus. Or actually, is it a Pikachu and a Pichu? No, they're, no, they're both Pikachus, and they're both girl Pikachus. Oh, well... They have the little hot tails. Oh. Well, we're talking about one particular Pikachu today, uh, Detective Pikachu. And uh, it's been a while since the movie came out, but we don't care because we love Pokemon, <laughs> and we're going to talk about it anyways. Hell and, yeah. Uh, we're going to catch... Always and forever. Exactly. Mm. We're going to catch them all. I, I was going to think of a pun, but I couldn't think of anything, so whatever. <laughs> We're going to catch them all. We're the very best that ever was. <laughs> exactly. Catch them is my real test. Yes. This is your real test as uh, fans of Millennial Falcon. Um, to train them. To train them is your cause. <laughs> um, so today... Um, sort of in place of our usual millennial movie review, we're going to be doing half a review of Detective Pikachu and half a sort of personal love letter of sorts to the Pokemon franchise. And uh, the reason that Philippa is on here today is because she is our foremost Pokemon expert. And she will be giving a very in-depth rundown of the Pokemon franchise or just whatever she wants to tell us. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I have Sorry. lots of I have lots of Pokemon fun facts, and every time Anya and I talk about Pokemon, I somehow manage to come up with a new one for her. So that's very the pressure's on. Yeah. I'm, I'm is, excited. I hope you sprinkle them throughout this podcast. It's honestly overwhelming best. and a little intimidating. So <laughs> is it like me and Doctor <laughs> Who lately? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I'm intimidated by all of you. It's like you throwing Doctor Who information at me. Will be throwing Star Wars information at me. I'm like, what can I? Offer? Can I? Uh, I can offer Phantom you Phantom of the Opera. Neil Gaiman. Damn it! I was just gonna tell you that in 2004 production of Phantom of the Opera, the Phantom and Christine were married, and that they kissed at the end. It was Did really they cute. really? That's weird. I was legitimately gonna. I was legitimately gonna say that, and then Philip was a fan of the Opera. And now I feel really called out. <laughs> You're blushing right now, aren't you? <laughs> doesn't I feel like doesn't that a uh, fly in the face of the whole point of the Phantom of the Opera story, though? <laughs> He's basically an incel. I mean, like, I mean, but the if the actors are married, like, they can't help well, that. Okay, well, Fanon and Cannon don't always have to line up. You mean Fanon with a PH? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, Lord. Do you guys know that the Phantom fandom is called the Fandom with a PH? That's that super sense. cute and super nerdy. 
Anyway, let's not talk about this because I don't want to talk about what garbage I am for Phantom of the Opera. Let's talk about what garbage you guys are for Pokemon. Yeah, I'm and um, I want Pokemon. to know uh, exactly how much garbage you guys are. But first, I want to hear Philippa's thoughts on Detective Pikachu since you are our esteemed guest today. <laughs> um, but we're going to go full into spoilers because it's been a while since Detective Pikachu has been released. If you're trying to uh, avoid spoilers, too bad because we're going, comp- we're diving in, and it'll be, it'll be as insane as um, Bill Nye swapping bodies with the um, Mewtwo. So my my thoughts on Detective Pikachu was actually that it was really fun. I really really enjoyed it, and um, as we'll get into like. I, I don't I don't really have nostalgia for Pokemon because I never really left Pokemon. I never really grew out of it. Um, so, but I I thought it was really fun. I thought it was like a really a really solid family friendly movie that you can take your like young kids to like school age kids and they're gonna love it as their first kind of baby's first noir film. Um, I thought that I, I really appreciated that it was like the actual world of Pokemon and not like some kind of like Pokemon coming into our world or anything like that. And I like that it had like it was sincere about what it was doing and it wasn't trying to be like snarky or ironic or anything like that, that it was really just kind of just saying we're going to play this as straight as possible and I think that's why it, it worked for me is because they weren't they weren't being kind of um, coy or anything about it they were just they were doing it as as as, as I, they were doing a Pokemon movie and <laughs> they just embraced it and that's what made it really work for me and I saw it with someone who um, she she's not into Pokemon but just simply by virtue of like growing up in Japan, she knows she kind of has like approximate knowledge through osmosis about Pokemon stuff. And so even, and like I asked her afterwards if she really enjoyed it, she really enjoyed it. Um, So even if you're not necessarily a Pokemon fan, I think like it's still, you can still watch it and you will like have a good time. I'm curious. Um, Philippa, because I know in Japan the um, the names for all the Pokemon are different, and you watched yes. the uh, English version, like it wasn't dubbed yes. in Japanese. Yes. Uh, was it confusing for like the audience, and uh, what was it like seeing it with the Japanese audience in Japan? Um, I don't, I don't think it was that confusing for the audience. I think, I think a lot of their like humor beats in it would would not have translated quite well and like I could read the subtitles as it was going along and it, it, like I, I kind of like going the experience of going to a movie in Japan an English movie and like having the subtitles is always kind of interesting to see how they translate things um so there would have been like some of the human beats would not have would not have translated quite as well or anything like that but I mean, the audience still seem to really enjoy it. The thing about Japanese audiences is that they're really unresponsive during a film. Like mm. they're really quiet. Like they won't, they won't even laugh. Like New Zealand audiences are generally quiet, um, but they'll laugh. But Japanese audiences won't even laugh at jokes and stuff like that. So it's like really surreal. But then like you finish watching the movie, and we watched it in like the theater we were in. It was a full house, and it it was like a Saturday evening. 
it was a full house. There were there were families there. There were young kids there. There were adults there. There was obviously like me and my friend are like in our twenties. We were there on our own, and like people were like talking about it excitedly and like saying how it was really good and stuff like that after as we were like leaving the theater. But yeah, Japanese audiences do not react to to movies so much at all. Like if you get someone reacting in a Japanese theater, they're generally not Japanese to be honest. <laughs> And this is in, like, Osaka, which, like, in the middle of, like, downtown Osaka, which is, like, has a, you know, people from Osaka kind of have a reputation for being quite rowdy and loud, so. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I actually went to um, a, a concert in Japan. Uh, it, <laughs> it was a Big Bang concert in Japan. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and uh, it was um, a really interesting experience because, mm. um, you know, they're, like, fan chants and everything, but yeah. when they're not doing the chants, they're like completely silent, and it's so yeah, strange going to a like concert really and no respectful. one is saying anything. Yeah, yeah, everyone's very respectful and stuff. And I've been to a concert. I've been to a concert here in Japan as well, and and yeah, it's like once like unless the artists like ask people to like chant and get into it, like they'll be very respectfully just like like clapping along or like waving their um concert lights but yeah it's it's an interesting experience so um Anya I wanted to know what your thoughts on Detective Pikachu are yes well there were a lot of Growlithes and a lot of Arcanines so I loved it (laughs) that's the only that's the only uh standard you have and there are Growlithes that's all you need I mean listen I didn't go into this movie with high expectations for its plot or its script. And its plot was fucking bonkers and didn't make any sense at all. But were there Growlithe and Arcanines and they did look, did they look really adorable and like I could cuddle them and that the Arcanine could carry me on its back when I'm sleepy and then I could snuggle into its fur? Yes. So therefore, was I happy? Yes. And that was my standard for Detective Pikachu. Um, (laughs) so it gets an A plus for me Um, but in actuality I agree with um, what Philippa said however I think Baby's first noir film should obviously be the Maltese Falcon Um, I don't know what she's talking about but um, definitely not going to go way over their heads Um, I'm going to take a six year old to the Maltese Falcon I think it should be Magic Mike actually I'm sorry what? Willoughby, you want to take your six-year-old non-existent child to Magic Mike or the Maltese Falcon or Detective Pikachu? Choose now. Detective Pikachu! <laughs> okay, fine. That was whatever. Um, anyway, this movie was just, it was it was bonkers. It made zero sense, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, the thing is, people are not going to this movie for the plot. They're going to this movie to see Pokemon come to life. Like, that is the sole reason this movie made the amount of money it made. And in that regard, this movie completely soared. It was very successful. The Pokemon looked gorgeous. The animation was stunning. And they all came to life in such breathtaking ways. And it was so fun to see them and little sounds they made. And I felt like I was a kid again. Um, and so in that regard, like this movie absolutely achieved what it set out to do. Um, if you're going to ask me if it's like the best children's movie of the year or like ever or anything like that, like, of course not. You know, but it's a lot of fun, and it had one goal, and it achieved that goal. I I feel like 
maybe I've just spent like way too much time with the Pokemon games because like you keep saying like this was completely bonkers and didn't make any sense and I'm like oh it, it, it for me it like tracked in terms yeah. of like yeah, I was like oh yeah that makes Pokemon sense games. to me yeah, well, my the funny yeah. thing is, my issue with it, with it was that it was not bonkers enough. I was like, mm. I want it to go even crazier and more anime. I felt like in a lot of senses they were holding back until you know, or like that's... the third act. But um, the way that they were trying to introduce us into the world, which I loved, I loved the entire world of Rhyme City. Mm. I loved how rich yeah. and how like fun and vibrant it was, and I loved the animation for all the people for all the Pokemon because they were just it was so amazingly realized but I feel like it took its time trying to uh, bring us into this world and trying to give us um, this a sense of this world through the eyes of this really boring human protagonist I'm like I don't need this guy I want more crazy Pokemon shenanigans and that's all I need to like get to know this world and um, it delivered on some parts of that but I wanted more just like craziness and bonkers I wanted that third act to be the entire movie essentially yeah i'm just like you're just saying it's not bonkers i just want to ask you if any of the pokemon games have ever had bill nye merging with you two and <laughs> no. the answer is no and therefore no, but we have but the spoilers. yeah and spoilers one of the um one of the antagonists in the antagonist in sun and moon does uh does merge with not a Pokemon, but an Ultra Beast, which are basically Pokemon from another dimension. Oh, my God. So, again, this tracks. Like, <laughs> I think, I think, to me, this movie is bonkers because Bill Nye's in it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> like, period. And end of bonkers. It's not bonkers because Ken Watanabe, for a very brief moment, uh, becomes a Pokemon. And he looks very confused for the entire I time that he's love, in it. He becomes I a love snubble. that. I loved it. it. So I was like, good. I want a whole movie of Ken Watanabe looking very befuddled. It's a snubble. <laughs> I just, snubble. I, I, I just, I just want to tell you guys that Bill Nye is in a Pokemon movie. <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. loves Pokemon now. He gave that it amazing? He was like, Isn't I love the ancient you. That they got someone it, like Bill Nye so to weird. do this, and he completely sold it too, which was hilarious. That's true. Yeah. Um, Willoughby, what are your thoughts on Detective Pikachu? I liked it. I thought it checked off all the boxes I wanted it to check off. It had a fun detective mystery that needed to be solved with a Detective Pikachu. Um, I liked the, um, uh, the, the way that the, um, Pokemon, those little creatures, they were rendered very well, very cutely. Um, the, um, what else? Uh, it was all... It's been like a month since I've seen it. Uh, the Bulbasaur's. The Bulbasaur. Oh, yes. yes. The March of the Bulbasaur uh, can forever be uh, l- like rendered onto my heart as one of the most powerful moments in cinema history. Mm-hmm. I will hear no judgment on that. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It was, it was just, it's still very good, though. Um, uh, the Squirtles fighting the fires were really good. Squirtle Squad! The Squirtle Squad. Um, Yeah, like we were saying, like the plot, like I like that it was sort of like a kid's noir. Yeah. Uh, It's sort of like a neon neon noir for for children. Because it's like, we always talk about how like children's movies can be like great in their own way for like kids and adults to appreciate. 
and you know like as in like mature themes and like well-rounded enough for adults to get something out of it but i on the other hand uh pokemon's pokemon uh pretty much for kids um and we're all yeah. kids at heart and i don't care that the plot is bon- bonkers or buck wild because it's pokemon the the, the fact that they exist is bunkers and buck wild. So any plot that they throw at me, I'm going to be fine with it because I just want to see my little boy Charmander and my little boy Squirtle and my little boy Bulbasaur just get them up there and be like, meh. And it's all very good. Um, I think I'm rambling here, but I think that the movie's strengths are definitely with its Pokemon. Uh, the, uh, relationship between detective pikachu and tim goodman is great uh as we i guess we're in spoiler territory the fact that pikachu was his father all along did tug at my heartstrings i thought that was very good uh ryan reynolds gave an excellent performance as the Mm. the titular role of detective pikachu um and justice smith was pretty good um uh psyduck we haven't talked i don't think we've talked about psyduck no. We need to talk about <gasps> Psyduck. Oh my god, Psyduck I love him. The embodiment every- of all my anxieties. Psyduck <laughs> is so good. Um I in the cartoon, I was always annoyed with Psyduck. Mm. And so when I heard that he was supposed to be like the standout breakout like steel scene stealer, I was like, "What?" But then when he when in the movie like he has like a personality, he's not just like sign. Like he's definitely a lot it has depth, which is sort of interesting. I like that his personality is just like every millennial slash anxious working <laughs> person because he's on the verge of a nervous I I breakdown. A little bit. Um, otherwise, like I think the movie was solid. Um, I'd watch it again. I want to see it again in mm-hmm. theaters. Um, I like that they handed out trading cards uh, in the theater opening weekend where you get like a little like Pikachu and then another Pokemon and that Pikachu, one of Pikachu's power is uh, drinking coffee, which is like mood um and then uh what else oh uh the end credit sequence where all the characters are rendered like pokemon characters from the game i thought that was so interesting Uh, yeah so very very charming um i do wish that uh oh yeah uh the pokemon the movie soundtrack is excellent uh rhyme city in particularly uh that that score is very good. It was uh, done by Henry Jackman, who does the Captain America movies. Uh, so it's very interesting. Um, not when, not uh, First Avenger. That was Alan Silvestri. Mm. Um, what else? No, I think it was just a solid movie. I liked Pikachu. P- we have, I haven't talked about Pikachu. He's very good. He's a very good boy. Um, yeah. No, they're all, all real I feel good. Like, I feel like charming is a good word for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Annie keeps saying bonkers, but charming is a good word, too, Yeah, I, I feel like the the heart of this movie is what shines yeah. through more than its weirdness and absurdity. Agreed. It does capture, you know, that um, heartfelt warmth of the Pokemon franchise really well. As much shit yep. as I was giving Tim Goodman, uh, as played by Justice Smith, uh, he and um, Detective Pikachu do have a really good rapport that... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, comes to fruition in the latter half of the movie, and I did I did enjoy that. I you know my problem was that it just took so long for them to get there. They're like trying to establish for so much. Oh look at his tragic backstory, and like I don't need this. Give me one flashback, that's fine, and then give me more text Pikachu interrogating various Pokemon. But um, I did enjoy like when they went for the for the heart. Um, 
yeah. because it like it was a little bit it was almost transportive in that way like when they uh, were able to harness those emotions really well and there's almost some um, sort of Ghibli-esque moments too which I really liked that kind of gave me a glimpse at this um the movie I wanted it to be in a way I know like it's bad to watch a movie with certain expectations in mind and that's something that I try not to do as a critic but regardless I kind of ended up doing that with with Detective Pikachu and that might have been what where um my disappointments come in because I wanted to be something that would save my life but it did not it was just a it just like gave me like a nice little reprieve in my life I guess you can say uh which is not a bad thing at all um but yeah I I did really enjoy just like uh, the beautiful animation, the rich world building, and um, the heartfelt emotion, the heartfelt nostalgia at that. I like that the Pokemon were empaths and that they yeah. could feel what you were feeling mm-hmm. and that the, the bond between a trainer and his Pokemon is so much deeper than you expect it to be. Yeah. And that it's, they're almost like, you know, it's almost uh, expl- explicit saying like uh, most trainers just have like the one Pokemon. Or, like, most yeah. people just have their one. Like, to be, like, an expert trainer, to be, like, Ash Ketchum in whatever universe that he, if he's in this universe, like, you have, to be, like, a professional, like, Pokemon trainer, you have, that's when you have, like, the six different Pokemon. Because mm. you realize that when you're playing the game and you have, like, your six Pokemon and then all the ones that are transported into a PC, which is never brought up, um, <laughs> the uh, the fact that you have, like, six creatures with you, like, at all times, but... Most most of the time they're in the Pokeball, like, to, you have to care for these creatures and feed them. Mm. And, like, having six wildly different Pokemon, most likely, it, unless you're, like, supposed to... I'm like, oh, these are all my firefighting types. Like, you most likely have, like, one of each type, and then they're going to be, like, different. Like, and you're going to have to, like, yeah. make sure that they're, like, not fighting each other. And mm. I like the idea that, that you just sort of have, like, you know, like, it's like a... Like a uh, a boy and his dog like situation where like you have like the trainer and their one Pokemon. Yeah. I think that that is sort of it brings it does um it it strengthens the bond between Pokemon and human like in this movie where like yeah you just have like the one and they're like your best friend that will know when to give you like a glass of warm water when you need it. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that in that case this movie kind of sidesteps the whole like conceit of pokemon in that you know it's like glorified cockfighting basically but in in this (laughs) case it's like it introduces the city where the battles are outlawed except for you know uh underground illegal battles Mm. and it's almost like a zootopia meets blade runner type of situation where the pokemon are supposed to be on equal level with the humans mm-hmm. um so i thought that was really interesting it was like a different twist on this world that i hadn't really thought of before but it was kind of a smart way of sidestepping that issue um and like introducing you know pokemon to a mass um american audience without being like oh yeah this is kind of cockfighting guys i remember yeah i mean i remember when pokemon first came out um and i was i was obsessed and um, I remember, like, there was a lot of concern from parents and stuff who didn't actually really watch the TV show that it was just promoting violence and promoting this kind of cockfighting attitude and stuff like that. But then, like, if you actually watch the TV show, like, it's not that at all. <laughs> like, yeah, they have Pokemon battles and stuff like that. But it's almost like it's almost saccharine in how 
how much it is about like developing a relate developing relationships with with Pokemon and like even like even like Team Rocket who are you know poses the antagonists still have these like these really strong bonds to their Pokemon and to the Pokemon that they that they have and that they spend time with and you eventually get like if you watch for long enough you get backstories about how they got their Pokemon and why they mean so much to them and I always just kind of felt like saying it was just all about fighting is kind of a shallow reading of what the actual um what the actual values that the franchise is actually trying to build on and impart to people and like I kind of like I get why like um there was like the moral panic over it like I I I remember there being like a 60 minute um thing about it and stuff like that 60 minute oh my god oh my goodness yeah, I remember I mean, it vividly because I was oh. so angry because, like, my little 10-year-old body was so rage-filled because I was like, <laughs> I was like, but this isn't what it's about, and I couldn't articulate why. But now, looking back, the reason that I can articulate why is because it is about, it is so much about, like, building friend. It, it Like, if you look at the show, it's about friendship, and it's about being empathic, and I liked that Detective Pikachu brought that over, and said like look you're really you know you have this empathic bond with your pokemon and i mean the trainer like obviously the you focus a lot on the trainers but if you even if you just look at the games like that's a tiny sliver of what you can do in the pokemon world because there are people who are pokemon breeders and people who like are basically like do pokemon pageants and people who do pokemon sport there are all kinds of like side games and mini games and stuff that you can do with Pokemon, and I liked that, um, like Willoughby said, that you, they didn't really zero in on the trainers for this, mm. um, that they just kind of gave you a, a more a broader view of like how a world with Pokemon, because not everyone is going to be a trainer, just like not everybody in in our world is going to be an elite athlete, um, and it, it, it just how that kind of relationship between human humans and Pokemon does actually does actually work on kind of more a day-to-day level than just like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to catch Pokemon. I'm going to train them. Yeah. I think, I feel like the outrage stuff is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, you can apply this to literally any piece of media, like, Harry Potter games, Bleach, kill. witchcraft and devilry. Like oh, yeah. Well, yeah, SpongeBob cool. is gay. Like there's a lot of a lot of I like meant... these like critics are of like children's media from like the past twenty years. It's so like weirdly unfounded. Well, I mean, not just that. Like, cause like I mean, Harry Potter is one thing because it's like witchcraft isn't real, um, and like that kind of stuff. But like the idea that like people are comparing Pokemon to like animal fighting, which is a very real thing in our world it's the Mm. idea of just like okay yes in real life don't engage in animal fighting that is wrong pokemon is not real life so it's just like any sort of media that has like a real life like comparison or parallel it's like just learn the difference between fiction and reality and i think i think i think children have a much more intuitive sense of what's fiction and reality than we than people ever give them credit for mm-hmm. like yeah. people think yeah. kids are so stupid but kids obviously not like i remember this one time um 
I was, when I was a teenager, I was babysitting some kids and the mother was telling me she was worried they were a little bit young, but she showed them Narnia, the first Narnia film. And she was worried that they would be distressed by like the big epic, the big battle scenes and stuff like that. But she said, actually, like they enjoyed those. They were much more distressed by the scenes of like the World War II bombing at the start. Because I'm they... sorry, the most distressing scene in Narnia is when Aslan is like on the slab of stone. I'm oh, just saying, I'm just saying, like, sacrifices I'm, himself for I'm, the sins of others. I'm just saying, like, like they could understand that, like, they they understood that on some level, like, the World War Two scenes were more tied to reality yeah. than yeah. anything then, else. And that to them was more, much more distressing to see. Kids understand make believe. Like, that's they the do. thing. Is yeah. they, they, like, what they do for most of, Like, that's what I did. I played a lot of times with my toys. Like, my, I had full length novels with, like, my action figures. They had, like, rebellions and redemptions and bro- sibling rivalries across a castle. Like, but then I would watch, like, a history documentary and be like, oh, that was real. This is scary. Like, kids know the difference and parents yeah. don't realize it and that's what this that's what uproar that's when uproar happens and i think that also you have like if you play the games or if you watch the the tv show you realize that like the po- the pokemon battling that's done is almost like a scrimmage like you're just basically yeah. you're not killing other pokemon you're not seriously damaging them like there's this inherent ability that the pokemon know when to stop um like they're just fainting other Pokemon and they're just like, you know, they're a little hurt. That's what Pokemon, that's what the free healthcare Pokemon centers are for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, is there a universal healthcare in the world of Pokemon? I mean, yeah. there has Pokemon, to be. Pokemon are, no, just free. You're not to. paying that. Yeah. Are Pokemon yeah. trainers, are they socialists? It must be. Cause like you've, if, Anya, have you played, you've played the games, right? She has. Yes. Yeah. So like you walk in, and you just give them your Pokemon, and they 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 help. You know, they make your Pokemon help. Yeah. And then they give it give them back to you. And even though there is money in the game, you only use the money for goods and services such as Pokeballs, yeah. and potions. Like you, the the healthcare in Pokemon, at least for Pokemon, is free, which is great. Um, and yeah, yes. like it, there is a level of like they're basically just like you know, it's like t- it's like two hand touch football in terms of like what they're actually doing to each other in terms of the battling. Whereas like there's a moment in Pokemon, the first movie where the Pokemon are forced to fight each other yeah. in a very heartbreaking moment where, um, uh, brother, my brother plays, which is a great song. And like, you realize that the type of fighting that they're doing in that scene is wrong. Whereas the type of fighting that's done in the rest of the show, when it's like, when you're just like, ha I'm Ash Ketchum. Ah, I'm another pl- trainer. Let's battle. Like, it's all like well and understood that what you're doing is just sort of like you know not very violent. Even though I think there's Pikachu a I think is, I think there's a sense of sportsmanship is yeah is what you're getting at yeah. Like the, there's a whole Pokemon League where like you know you're in front of thousands of 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 people in the audience and like you're on a stadium and you're like battling Pokemon and the Pokemon instinctively know like when too much is too much. Like Pikachu is a thunder rat and he will like attack you with thunder but or i guess lightning but like it's not going it's just going to like sizzle your ratata a little bit like it's not going to like be a damage like <laughs> just enough to like knock I, the, the ratata out i will I say know. that um that satoshi tajiri who who 
basically created Pokemon. They when they were conceiving the game, they I think he did a. It, it seems like he might have originally had them dying because at some point he changed it and said, you know what, I don't want kids learning about death through this game, so we're just gonna fight them and they can you can they can be revived and stuff like that. So yeah, there was there was that's definitely like a very conscious decision on the part of the creator that they don't get like killed outright killed yeah so uh, moral of the story pokemon is not pet cemetery yes <laughs> it's very much not pet cemetery <laughs> no one no pokemon comes back after fainting like church <laughs> that would be horrifying wait now i want to see a horror version of pokemon where this happens oh that's interesting they've got enough like ho- the ghost pokemon have enough horrifying backstories that you could make a very creepy very pokemon cool have backstories yeah like you look Cubone. up on the pokedex and stuff yeah i told you about cubone right how like you know why it wears the skull on its head it's because it's the skull of like... dead mother exactly yeah remember I told you this. You and there's like this and I had blocked it from my memory because of what <laughs> the fuck. And they're yeah. like and they're and they're like and like it doesn't get less it doesn't get like less horrifying the like further you get along in the Pokedex or anything like that. Like they don't necessarily they don't exactly like tone stuff down again, especially when it comes to the ghost Pokemon. I I actually really like the ghost Pokemon for that reason. Gastly's I think they're really, really good. Cool. I like Haunter. Yeah. I lo- I love Gengar. Wait, tell I'm... me a backstory of one of the ghost Pokemon. Um, okay, so Litwick is this little, little candle Pokemon, right? This little candle Pokemon. It's very cute. And it lures uh, lost children in and will slowly feed off their life force. Yep. What the fuck? Okay, you want to know another one? Okay, you know the little, you know the little uh, balloon one, Drifflum? The cute little balloon? Yeah. It said, like, if a child will like grab onto it it says it said that it will like carry away that child's soul <laughs> a lot of soul stealing going on here i'm never Chris. i'm never playing pokemon okay. again and there's this other one i think it's i think it's pumpkaboo maybe and what it and it said that it's like the the reason that those pokemon come about is because they're like the souls of people who have who have gotten lost in the woods and died and then they become this pokemon these and then, are very in, like japanese horror stories in pokemon, they though? Yeah. in pokemon let's go pikachu and let's go eevee you visit a tower of pokemon where it's all ghosts and you have to fight like the trainers there but also like you're trying to um uh, reconcile cubone and hit the soul of his dead mother in yeah. that Is in that, that building town as well is Sorry? that in Lavender? Is that in Lavender Town, like in Red and Blue? I believe so, because be- okay, okay, because Let's Go Pikachu is a is remake it- of Red and Blue and Yellow. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, it's been so long since I've played Red and Blue, I couldn't remember if that was still in that. So no, I just, no, no, it is. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. used Let's Go Pikachu as a modern reference, which is great. It's a great game. Um, yeah. And I can't wait for Sh- Sword and Shield. Oh my god, fall. I'm so excited. Uh. I can't. It's supposed to be Anya. You'll really like this game because it's supposed to be based on British Isles. I think. I think. Yeah, the next generation is based on Britain. Yeah. I'm sorry. Been... Are there going to be Pokemon that steal the souls of children? Possibly. <laughs> you never know. She, no, she, she's going to be on this for a while. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's 
let's move on to, I guess, general thoughts on... I mean, I guess we've been doing our general thoughts on Pokemon. We've moved on from Detective Pikachu. Um, here's a question to get our mind off of the ghost Pokemon. Uh, let's start with Philippa. Who's your favorite Pokemon? This is a really hard question for me because, like, there are 809 Pokemon and I have played a game from almost every generation. Um... So I have so many favorite Pokemon. At the moment, though, my most favorite is Alolan Vulpix. Because Vulpix was already so cute, and then it became an Ice-type. And I love Ice-type Pokemon, and it's just so cute. And she's lit out of white, and no to blow. And it fits my aesthetic so lovely, and I just love them. And it's currently my, like, buddy Pokemon on one of the, one of the eggs that I, I got from Anya in in Pokemon Go hatched into one of the only Alolan Vulpixes that I have. And so oh, that welcome. is currently my buddy Pokemon Go. Man, I kind of want to play Pokemon Go again now. I, I miss do. having all those Pokemon Please and seeing them do. grow. There's currently, there's currently an event on until Monday where you can encounter sleeping Snorlaxes. <gasps> I yeah. love Snorlaxes because they're me. I love Big Snorlaxes. round and sleepy. Yeah. I love Snorlax because they remind me of Totoro. With big, oh, yeah. Big yeah, yeah. tummy that you can sleep on as he sleeps. Guillermo del Snorlaxa. Ah. That's cute. Okay. HT, who is your favorite Pokemon? Well, uh, when I was young, I had a very logical explanation for this one. I, my favorite back when I was a kid was Eevee because... First of all, Eevee is the cutest little squirrel-like Pokemon, but also I thought it was very cool that it could evolve into three different types depending on which um, uh, element stone you use on it. Mm. So there's like Vaporeon, Jolteon, Flareon, and then like in later generations, I think there are even more. It's, yeah, um, yeah they added so many more different evolutions. There is, there is I think I think there's seven. There's the original three. Wait, there might even be eight. There's the original Umbreon. three. There's Espeon, Umbreon, there's Glaceon, and Leafeon, and then there's Sylveon. Yeah, so there's eight now. But yeah, um, that was my sort of logical answer. But I, I have to go with my first love, and that's Pikachu. And yeah. it's a very basic answer, but I think um, I always go back to Pikachu. These cute yeah. little cheeks, genetically engineered to make me love him and I don't care because I do and he's also my go-to um Super Mario Bros uh fight character just because I love spamming spamming lightning on people (laughs) so yeah Pikachu my first love my only love Anya who's your favorite Pokemon gosh I wonder I'll give you one guess (laughs) is it is it Growlithe is Growlithe and I feel like probably more specifically Arcanine. Like I feel like I like Arcanine. You want the big boy. You want you want the dog that you I can want ride. the big boy. I want the dog that is actually a little bear. So yes, Arcanine not is probably my bear, favorite. Yeah. What? Not little. Very big. <laughs> I mean, but like bears are bigger than dogs, so I want like that's a little fair. bear. Because like a little bear would be a big dog. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. A big boy. Yeah. He's a big chunky boy. I love big chunky boys. So Willoughby, then, who is your favorite? Uh, my good friend Squirtle. Yeah, that's very you. He's so he's so he's very cute. 
He's a water type, and I am from the sea, so it just makes sense. And plus, he's a turtle, and I think turtles are neat. Um, he's also <laughs> a squirrel. Yeah, um, they are neat. I guess that you know he's the portmanteau of a turtle and a squirrel. And uh, I like that he has a squad. Like I love the idea that there's just like a gang of squirrels with sunglasses <laughs> roaming the the, the, roaming the lands of Canto. Of Canto. Just, I love that. Disrupting uh, society, like it's so great. Um, in the most petty, like small ways as well. Like, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so and then cute. I like, uh, uh, I like that he turns into Blastoise, and he's because he, Blastoise is big, and that's cool. Um, but if I had to, had to choose, like, I don't know. I like Entei in terms of le- all the legendary oh, characters. Oh yeah. Because Entei is a big dog. You know the you know the thing about Entei in the movie is is that the soul of the main girl's father becomes part of Entei. In the third movie, who's the legendary dog of, of Jodo. And that's why that's why he's so protective of her. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So like the souls of characters becoming one with Pokemon is not unique to mm-hmm. Detective Pikachu. But it's it not is unique to Bill It's not <laughs> yes. I was and I was just saying that I love when Pokemon gets weird and mythological like that. That's why I really yes. love uh the second Pokemon film. I think oh, it's yeah, probably my favorite my, one. Yeah, that was my favorite one as a kid as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like, love wow. that. Wow, it's like Greek myth but with Pokemon. <laughs> it gets like like some of the Pokemon movies. Like the stakes are so low. Mm-hmm. Like they're painfully low. They're dreadfully low, and they're just such a slog to work through. But I still remember like po- the second one. That was just so watchable, even as an adult. It's it was so watchable. ambitious too. Honestly, it, it was like that was like Ghibli level of ambition and just kind of agreed. Yeah, so good, man. I want to rewatch it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Philippa, uh, you were talking oh. about this briefly before, but um, I don't want to tell you to like go into the full history of Pokemon, <laughs> but um, you were talking about like the creation and everything and the um. Yeah. Uh, the creator can you like go a little into that and, like how it came about and um sure maybe like go into like just uh, well, like, I, a little I, background just, just where where someone even comes up with this kind of thing mm-hmm. um so uh the creator is a guy called uh tajiri satoshi um and if you if you don't know this but like uh ash's name in japanese is satoshi um, so it's it's the same name, and um, the main character is is named after him. Um, now he there's this there's a hobby in Japan that is is huge, and that is bug collecting. And like even now, like I live in a I live in a, a kind of semi rural area. I guess it's like as sub, it's about as suburban as Japan gets. And um, in the middle of the summer, you will see a lot of kids out with bug nets catching bugs and putting them in little bug containers. There's an insectarium um, not very far from here. And bug collecting and bugs are a big thing for kids in Japan. Like, kids love bugs here. And bugs here are massive, horrifyingly massive. Um, like I was here about a week. I arrived in the middle of August and I, it took me about a week to be like, oh, now I understand why Pokemon are the size that they are. Like, I was like, this, this makes sense now. Anyway, Tajiri Satoshi, when he was growing up, um, he really loved bug collecting. And um, he was really bad at school, 
but he also really loved video games and was uh, and really loved video games and wanted to know how to make them. He took apart his family's Famicom system to try and work out how it worked. Um, and he eventually lo- he loved video games so much that he eventually started like kind of a dojinshi called Game Freak. Um, where he put together this magazine that was like all, and this was like in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and he put together this little dojinshi magazine and it was like all about like different cheats and different uh, things about video games and he like made copies on like the the local kombinis uh, here have like uh, printers and uh, photocopiers that you can use. So he, he used one of those to like make copies of it and started handing it around and um, it eventually got really popular, and through that, he came to know a guy called Sugimori Ken, who started to do the artwork for him for Game Freak. And obviously, they then, as time went on, it got bigger and bigger, and and um, they eventually just decided to move into making video games rather than just writing about them. And if you're a big Pokemon fan, you'll know that Sugimori Ken is the guy who has who even to this day does the official art for Pokemon. Like other, other people will do, will create Pokemon, but he always does kind of the official, Mm. the official art for them in the end. Um, So he kind of wanted to develop, they developed Game Freak into a company, into a gaming company. Um, And when, uh, Tajiri saw the capabilities of the Game Boy with the link cable. Um, he 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 kind of had this idea of like, okay, what if you could like, what if you could like trade, what if you could like catch and trade creatures? Because he really loved he you know he remembered bug catching and he's like, what if you could like trade those bugs mm. with your friends and stuff like that. And so he had this big ambitious project, this big ambitious idea that he pitched to Nintendo, and they were kind of like, we're not really sure that you know, it's, it's a little bit, like, it's, it's, it's ambitious, it's, it's a little bit unfocused, but Miyamoto Shigeru, who you'll know from Legend of Zelda specifically, um, kind of took Tajiri under his wing and gave him a lot of advice and really saw the potential in it, and, um, if you know Gary from the games or Blue, um, his name in Japanese is Shigeru. So you have Satoshi and Shigeru because, um, Tajiri kind of saw Miyamoto as like this kind of mentor and a little bit of a rival, but mostly somebody who was a mentor and was always above him and kind of took him under his wing. Um, it took a long time to develop the first games. There was a lot of bugs in them. Um, the company was losing money. People quit because they they weren't being because they couldn't be paid. So they were like, "Well, I have to take another job," and they eventually had to shelve it for two or three years while they worked on games. For Nintendo, like, Miyamoto kind of kept bouncing them stuff in the meantime to work on to kind of get some income in. Uh, Eventually, they worked on a game for, I think it was Game Boy, Game Boy and maybe Famicom, um, that was called Yoshi's Egg, which was like a (gasps) Mario spinoff. Yeah. Yoshi, that's a good game. Yeah, so Game Freak worked on that. It was mega successful, and it brought in enough money that they could basically bring um, Pokemon they could bring Pokemon off the back burner and start working on it again and um, release it. And I mean, even, I mean, 
if you remember, if you, I don't know if either of you, any of you ever played like Pokemon on Game Boy, but like, even like thinking back on it now, like it's it's an ambitious game for the system, um, oh, yeah. and it's and Game Boy was actually kind of waning in popularity, and then Pokemon came out and it kind of revived Game Boy as a console, and. Um, of course, it's been, like, a staple of, like, the Nintendo console, the Nintendo handheld consoles up to this day is the Pokemon games. It's, like, Pokemon and Super Mario. Those are their two, like, you know, if you're getting a new Nintendo handheld, you can count on, on those two things coming out again. And um, it is just really interesting because I feel like as each generation comes out, like, they add more and more stuff to it, but it just feels like like every generation they're getting closer and closer and closer they're just trying to get closer to what Sugimori uh, not Sugimori uh, Tajiri originally wanted you know like there's this sense of like there's nothing that's been added on that feels really extraneous to me at least having played through every generation this it it always just feels like they push the limits of the system every single time of what the system can handle every single time and they just keep trying to realize more and more what what the original vision was, even if that even even twenty five years later. Hmm. I never realized that the origins of Pokemon was like so pure. Yeah, that's really sweet. Right? I love that idea it's of so bug cute. catching. Yeah, I never yeah. realized it was like it was such a huge tradition in Japan because I you know I recognize it from mm. watching watching a lot of anime and reading a lot of manga. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's sweet. It's not like an almost old fashioned notion. And um, yeah. the fact that that was the basis for Pokemon makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense does. towards like the sort of more sentimental aspects of the yeah. franchise as well. I agree. I think I think that that's the one thing that I've always loved about Pokemon is that it's always the franchise has always had a lot of heart to it. And like, you know, Miyamoto um, has this like it's it it's this classic thing about Nintendo that they said that they don't use focus groups. Miyamoto just plays the games and decides if they're fun or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there is that sense of that in Pokemon as well. Like they're trying to make games that are fun mm. and they're not like, yeah, obviously they're going to make a lot of money and, but the money isn't necessarily the end goal so much as just a, a, a way for them to make, more games that are closer to that are get even closer and closer so I, I kind of feel like at least when it comes to creating the games there's still kind of a heartfelt ethos behind them that you can still feel mm-hmm. and I think that's why people stick with Pokemon even 25 years later is because like it still retains that kind of that spirit like of of wanting to be something that is that is fun, yeah, and that is empathic, like we were saying, and and just it it's not trying to necessarily cash in on something so much as just like keep creating something that is about connecting people with each other and have helping people make friends and yeah yeah it's amazing how universal it is even today still um, I yeah. have a little anecdote because um, I have a little baby cousin. Well, I guess he's not a baby so much anymore. He's, uh, I think, like seven or eight. Yeah. And um, he loves Pokemon. Mm. And that's amazing to me because Pokemon isn't really on the air anymore. And even if it was, 
uh, kids these days don't really watch TV. They TV. watch things on like their iPads or on Netflix mm. or something. And um, he collects all of these Pokemon cards. He even has like these giant ones that he very proudly showed to me oh. when I visited him. And when he, he when um, I was putting him to bed, he asked me to read him this book of Pokemon stats. And oh. it was the cutest <laughs> thing that ever happened to me and so when he when i told him that i love pokemon too he got really excited and he's like oh what cars do you have and i'm like well i you know i had a lot i have them all in like this big pokemon um album i can show you sometime he's like do you have it with you now i'm like i don't it's at my parents house so it's just like it's amazing to me like and like i asked him like how he learned about pokemon and he just learned about it on the playground like yeah. other kids were playing with the cards and that's how he learned about it. But being in, um, being so young, they're actually not allowed in during recess to play with Pokemon cards. So they just like collect them. <laughs> so they're not allowed to play like the game, you know, battle with each other, yeah. but they collect them and like, I think they trade them and stuff. And I just think yeah. that that's so sweet and um, such a testament to the power of the Pokemon franchise, like how yeah. it still reaches kids today. I I have two similar stories where, um, so I teach middle school and, um, there was this one kid that I have and he is, he doesn't like English. He likes to sleep in class. He likes to read in class and I'm just like, okay, whatever. Um, but apparently he loves Pokemon. And when I mentioned Pokemon, he's just like immediately like looking up and looking at me. And I, there have been times where like, he'll just like refuse to do work and I'm like okay we're gonna talk about Pokemon in Japanese then and that's just I'm just gonna let you do that for a while and he was he's like 13 14 and I asked him one time like what were your first games and he was like oh Nova and I was like oh my god because I was like and those are like Pokemon black and white and I remember those coming out I was in my early 20s and I was just like no no what are you talking about um and then I actually recently went uh went and had lunch with my friend and she has two young children. She has an infant and a six year old. He's just started school this year. And um, he also really loves Pokemon and they have Pokemon let's go. And he was so excited to have someone to talk to about Pokemon and was so excited about it. And um, so I don't know if you know this about Pokemon let's go, but you can actually connect it to a Pokemon go account Yep. and you can, yeah. And you can like, move Pokemon from Pokemon that you've caught in Pokemon Go over to the Pokemon Let's Go. And um, so what this actually does and the way that it's been marketed in Japan is that it means that parents or older siblings or cousins or grandparents or uncles and aunts or whatever can be playing Pokemon Go and then come home and sit down with their daughter or son or niece or whatever and they can play Pokemon together. Um, with Let's Go, and that's how it's been marketed, and that's exactly how this family uses it, is that the kid plays Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, and his dad plays Pokemon Go during the day when he's at work and stuff like that, and when he's out and about, and um, and it's a way for them to connect as father and son, and I just think, like, in a, in a society, in a country where the fathers are always kind of, like, can kind of be quite distant and will like it's not uncommon for fathers to live and work in completely different cities from where their families live um like there's this there's this way that they can because obviously you know people our age 
who were into Pokemon when we were kids are now having children. Mm. And so it's like a way for them to connect with their kid. And I just think that that's, that's really cool as well. Yeah. That's amazing. Ah, but yeah, the Pokemon franchise. What a, what a wonderful, what a a wonderful franchise. I said this in 2016 and I'll say it now. Pokemon will save the world. Yeah. We wished it would have saved it a little more in 2016, but it, it gives us, you know, little bits of hope. When the entire when the entire world was like playing Pokemon Go in like June and July of that year, that was real fun. When everyone yeah. was just like, I mean, got play Pokemon. yeah, like you say that, but like there are more active players now than they ever were, like when at a re- at launch. Yeah, That's so very they're exciting. Yeah, like, I have my girlfriend's friends still play Pokemon Go. Yeah, um, in fact, my girlfriend and I were like almost dating by the when Pokemon Go was coming out. So we were like hanging out and playing Pokemon. That was like your first date. Which is like the the cutest thing ever, Willoughby. We went went around the National Mall and we picked up Pokemon and we went down to the Tidal Basin and picked some Magikarp out. It was really fun. Oh my god. That's so cute. Yeah, it's really funny actually being in Japan because like people play but like everyone plays. Like basically everyone old enough to have a smartphone um, plays some kind of smartphone game and um, it's not uncommon to see like gangs of teenagers biking around town with like their um, with their cell phones mounted on on the front of their bicycles, and they'll like go and find like raid gyms and do raid battles together. And um, the other thing that will sometimes happen is I'll be like walking in like downtown Osaka. And, like, suddenly I realize that I've, I, like, turn a corner and, like, everyone's, like, standing still and on their phone. And I just look around and I'm, like, oh, my God, there's a raid battle. There's a legendary raid. And I, like, pull out my phone and I'm, like, oh, my God, get it in there. Uh, on the five-minute walk from from the metro station to my apartment, there's two Pokemon gyms. So every mm-hmm. once in a while I'll see, like, just a group of people, mostly young, yeah. you know, like, young 20-year-olds, like, like in a circle like all holding out their phones exactly and the only time anybody does that is playing pokemon go so i'm like oh yeah i love that yeah it is it is just really surreal because you just turn a corner and suddenly like everyone like uh, like teenagers right up to people retirees are like standing still on their phones and i'm like something something is not right (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's the first week the first like month that Pokemon Go came out, I like explored the neighborhood that I was living in. I was living with my parents at the time. And like, I was like, you know what? This is a good time to actually go like explore this neighborhood. And like, I was, I was in this like park area in the, in the, like the neighborhood area complex. And like everyone around me was also playing Pokemon Go. Cause like they were talking to each other, like, Oh, there's a Rattata. And like, Oh, there's like one of the like Pokestops where you can get Pokeballs. Cause it was all brand new. We were all like mm. learning it at the same time. And I was like, this is really like pure and wholesome right now where everyone's yeah. just playing Pokemon together. Man, it really is. I miss those days. Now I want to get Pokemon Go again. <laughs> and uh re re-experience that whole well there are there are there are friends there it has the friend system now so Mm. you can add add people and you can send them stuff and yeah that's really cool and you can trade pokemon now and yeah yeah that's what i was i was hoping at at one point they would do is like uh like doing that where you can like trade and battle and stuff like that yes yeah. Instead of just battling like the the CPUs at the gym or something like you can yeah actually... no you can they've completely they've completely rendered like 
renovated everything. You can battle people who are your friends and you can battle and um, you add people as your friends and you can battle and trade with them and you can also send them gifts. That's so, fun. It is really fun. Guys, Pokemon's so pure and wholesome. This episode's been really pure and wholesome. It has. Um, yeah, I think that's a great way to wrap up our discussion about Detective Pikachu and Pokemon. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to just, like, add? Um, I will say that, like, honestly, like, I truly believe that there's, like, one unifying force in this world besides, like, religion. It's Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> With me. It's true. Then why is Detective Pikachu not doing better at the box office? And why am I losing the summer movie wager at slashfilm.com? I put um, it because, as my number three choice. And because, John Wick uh, is currently beating, which I'm happy with because I love John Wick. Five other movies came out around I was going to say, a lot of other. Mm-hmm. I was like, hold on. What are, what are your top, what are your one and two, HT? Avengers Endgame and um, I think Toy Story 4. I'm like. How is Lion King not? Near- oh wait, is- I think Lion King was number two actually. Lion King is number I'm two. I'm like, okay, Toy hold on. Disney four. has Endgame, Toy Story four, and Lion King coming out this summer. Yeah. Like Pokemon didn't stand a chance but to be a top three. No, Pokemon was gonna be that underdog. Millennials no. love it. Not- See what okay, you're just you talking about here? It unites you know generations. Do you know what millennials love more? Lion King and Toy Story. Lion King. I mean, that's fair. That's me. Hi. Hello. Like, you cannot tell me that in, especially in like the U.S., that Disney is not a bigger draw than Pokemon. I mean, you're right, but I gambled on my fellow millennials and I lost, and it's you fine. failed. You rolled the hard six. No, <laughs> I had my reasons. <laughs> you tried. I tried. You tried, and therefore no one should criticize you. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Okay, that's the way to end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's the lessons of Pokemon, guys, and of Detective Pikachu. Yeah. And yes. um, yeah, I think that's a great way to wrap our, up our discussion. Uh, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Okay, so my really like is um, a podcast that my sister put me on to, and it's called You're Wrong About. I don't know if you guys have come across this one yet. Oh. Um, okay, so it's it's really interesting. I'm just going to pull it up now so I can accurately tell you who the people are. Um, so it is... It's hosted by Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall. Um, and every week they look at, like, a... Semi-historical event, person, or controversy, and research it, and tell, and make a podcast about why you're wrong about it. Mm. And they go into like what the actual details are, and um, what the actual phenomena are, and stuff like that, and talk about why it was, why it happened, and what caused it, and. Um, I'm doing a really bad job of selling this, but it it is actually a really fascinating and really interesting podcast. And um, I'm I'm not necessarily I'm not a super podcast person simply because I don't really have a lot of time at the moment because I'm studying for an exam. Um, but I've been listening to this one, and I highly highly recommend it. And um, I actually have a second really like, which is 
Harley Rae Jepsen's new album. Yeah. Yeah. I'll allow it. Yeah. (laughs) Which I have not stopped listening to in two weeks. So. For our Lord and Savior, Carly Rae Jepsen. The podcast to me sounds a lot like Mythbusters, but for podcasts. Yeah. 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 Something like that. But definitely look it up. It's very interesting. And um, yeah. And it's called. uh, You're wrong about. You're wrong about it. Yeah. You're wrong about. Yeah. All right. That sounds awesome. Check it out. Okay, Willoughby, what is your really like this week? So we've been talking a lot about Disney and how it's, you know, it owns our souls and it has so much, you know, it just, there's so many properties and so many different, you know, franchises and whatnot. Today, this morning, last night, Pixar released a trailer for its latest film, which it looks like it's an original film called Onward. And it's basically it's they market it they're marketing it as a suburban fantasy world which is extremely my shit. Um, I have not watched the movie Bright because I do not want to support anything Max Landis does. God never. But like that concept of like modern world versus and also like the you know like elven world and like the middle the like uh, you know fantasy mm-hmm. world like coming together and like mishmashing like. I like that idea a lot, and so I'm excited to support uh, Pixar's endeavor into this world, and I think the art style looks really fascinating. I love all the weird modern elements mixed in with all the fantasy elements. Um, I guess the it stars Tom Holland and Chris Pratt as, like, I want to say they're elves. Cause they've got they're like elven years. brothers, yeah. They're elven brothers. I think Chris Pratt is doing... Uh, he, he, he's at his, at his best in this point in his career when he's doing voice work. So I'm very excited for this. Tom Holland, as we know from Spiderman and uh, other like uh, other movies like, uh, I don't know, Lost City of Z or whatever. Um, he was actually quite good in that. He he has a weird fake mustache in that movie. Um, there uh, he's great. Uh, he's doing, you know, it's kind of this interesting, you know, like mashup of uh to the two Peters of the Marvel Universe playing Elven Brothers. Um, and they have, like, a van that is, like, decorated in this, like, weird, like, 80s uh, fantasy art paint that's, like, a, of, like, a unicorn and whatnot. And it's really interesting. Um, I uh, recommend any, everybody to check out the trailer. It's only, like, two minutes long. It's, like, a teaser trailer for the movie. Um and I'm really excited for it. Uh, I yeah, I, I love suburban fantasy. It's like this weird niche product that uh, gets me. So have you ever read Artemis Fowl, uh, Willoughby? No. Yeah. Oh my god. Read that's Artemis exactly Fowl. the premise of Artemis Fowl, which I feel like you would really enjoy. Oh my enjoy. gosh. Read you the know, first three Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl was like a, about a bird. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> I guess. Read but the it, first three Artemis Fowl books. Yeah. Like, Go start them like as soon as we finish recording. And also, don't get put off by the trailer for the movie because the trailer doesn't look good. Which has been pushed back by like nine months. Yeah, Yikes. I um, um not anticipating yeah, that movie. It, it looks questionable. But will it be um read it after you finish Master and Apprentice and the Rick Riordan books? Yeah, don't I'm going to read, read the Dune books. I got a lot on my plate reading. Ooh, that. have fun with Dune. <laughs> Dune actually isn't bad. I no, enjoyed Dune the... is actually. I mean, it's. I read the. I read the first three in the Dune series, and I actually like. I love Dune. I think it's a really fascinating story. It's just like it is very dense it's and very, very dense. political, uh, and like 
it does it is sometimes it is a little bit hard to like get into and follow everything because like Frank Herbert did not he was like I'm not gonna dumb anything down and he's like I'm gonna make this as complicated as possible yeah. and I'm gonna talk about spices and <laughs> economies and trade the first 25 uh, pages especially are really hard to get into but they um, are very once hard, you get yeah. past that it actually is quite action-packed I think you'll you'll like it um will it be but yeah Artemis Fowl great series mm. really fascinating protagonist in that he's basically the villain at the start and then transforms into an anti-hero which i know you love too i think i can't know. yeah <gasps> kind of no yeah, no willoughby loves his good boys oh yeah you love your good boys well he's not a good boy but he becomes a good boy <laughs> <laughs> willoughby's like wait a minute <laughs> yeah um, so yeah. onward is what i'm really liking we go. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, I sabotage your your really like there for a second. Um, nah, but yeah, okay. onward looks really cool. It's directed by Dan Scanlon, who directed Monsters University. Um, so it kind of has that same kind of goofy uh, mm. tongue in cheek vibe. Um, I'm curious to see how it goes because I feel like Pixar hasn't really done any um, straight fantasy films before. Like the closest I oh. think was Brave. Um, I guess. Brave is more medieval with fantasy yeah, elements. Yeah, it has elements, like, fantasy elements. This is pure fantasy. Like, do you guys want to know more about Onward? Oh, please tell oh. us. And like, do you guys want to know like what the brother, what their quest is? I mean, I, I think I know their quest is to like find out if there's magic in the world, right? No. No. Oh, tell. Okay. At yeah. least that's not what Dan Scanlon said at B twenty three. Oh yeah, so please. They tell are us. actually they are actually looking for their father. Oh. And so this is actually a very personal story for Dan Scanlon because he has a brother um, and their father passed away when they were young and they remember like listening to tapes and hearing their father's voice um, and like picturing him and kind of their their memories of him when they were younger before he passed. Um, And so the story is really just inspired from Dan Scanlon's real life and him and his brother kind of remembering their father um and so the brothers in the movie are on a quest um either to find their father or if it's if it's more similar to their life that their father's past and they're like on a quest that has to do with their father um but yeah so that's kind of like the that's going to be like the heart of oh i'm gonna need film. an emotional support girlfriend for this one i don't i was gonna I say um stuff. this movie so what you're telling me is that this movie is going to wreck me well it's pixar so yeah Cool. Yes. Cool. Anya, what's your really like this week? Well, is there any other really like other than good omens? The answer is no. Nope. Because the only really like is good omens. Because good omens premiered today on Amazon Prime. And you guys, I never thought we would get good omens on like screen. Mm. Like Terry Pratchett never thought it. Neil Gaiman never thought it. And Neil Gaiman thought they might. Terry Pratchett never thought that they would. Never thought it. Well, I mean, like, because, like, Terry Gilliam had, like, his movie that was sort of in the works, and he had, like, a cast, which, like, thank God that never happened because he wanted to cast Johnny Depp as Crowley. Mm. Ugh. Mm. Um, I guess it made sense at the time. At like, the 2003. time, yeah, yes. <laughs> Back right, in the yeah. four days. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm just, I'm, so I'm first just astonished that we even get it at all and that it's here and that it exists. Um. And Good Omens was the first book I ever read by Neil Gaiman, so that was my introduction to Neil Gaiman, who, as we all know on this pod, has had, like, a really big impact on my life. Um, And so it's just really special to kind of see this world come to life. And so I'm just really amazed that it exists at all. Um, I'm only a few episodes in, so I haven't finished it quite yet, so I don't have, like, kind of a 
thoughts on how it works overall. Um, I'm I have my I, I'm I'm a little hesitant about the fact that Neil Gaiman both wrote it and show ran it because I feel like he's almost too close to it to I feel like there might be some some flaws in the show because of that, but we'll see. Um, but so far, after the first few episodes, I am loving it. It's it has such a Monty Python um, <laughs> feel to it, which is so perfect. The score is really fun. Like it feels how the book feels when you read it which okay, is yeah. perfect. Like, they nail the tone, which okay. is wonderful. Um, I mean, the cast really shines. Obviously, David Tennant and Michael Sheen are kind of, like, the, the, the main ones, and they are great. But I actually think Michael Sheen is a little bit better than David Tennant so yes. far. I love Tennant. Um, but Michael Sheen is just precious as Aziraphale. He's so, like, sweet and, you know, a little, like, flustered all the time. And utterly charming as Aziraphale. Um, I cannot, like, just stop giggling whenever he speaks or just smiling whenever he's on screen. Um, so You also I, adore Michael Sheen. I do adore Michael Sheen, but I also adore David Tennant. I know, I know, so, I'm just saying. Um, I, 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 really, remember, I remember when they got cast and you just completely flipped out. Oh, my God. I mean, I will say I, I do adore Michael Sheen more than David Tennant, so that's exactly. fair. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the casting is perfect. John Hamm as Gabriel is so fun like please john ham do weird wacky projects for the rest of your life because mm-hmm. that's what he's best at his last name is literally ham <laughs> and he, he knows lives how up to, to do that. that he does mm-hmm. he really does yeah um so yeah i'm just i'm really loving i'm loving good omen so much and i can't wait to finish it but i also never want to finish it um and i'm just so happy that it's here and it exists I, I'm glad you like it, Anya. I think as someone who, who got to see the entire thing, um, every, your um, reaction to it now is pretty accurate for the rest of the series. Oh, it good. Has, yeah, it has that, that, it has that tone that nails so well about of the book, like that absurd um, self-deprecating tone and that Monty Python-esque um, visual cues. And um, I have my own reservations about the cast, and I think that your criticisms about like Neil Gaiman being a little too close to it are pretty valid. But uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant are so good, and I agree with you completely about like Michael Sheen being a little bit better, just because yeah. he embodies the character so much. He is Aziraphale. Well, it's like David Tennant is always good. But he always feels like he's putting on a show, which is in he line does. He's with very um, much a showman. Yeah, exactly. It's in line with the character too. But like Michael Sheen is just. He disappears into that role. It's it's David Tennant as Crowley is what mm-hmm. you're saying. Yes, yes. Yes, whereas Michael Sheen is kind of, he's not, it's not Michael Sheen as Aziraphale, it's just Aziraphale. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, oh, it's yeah. Aziraphale I, as Michael Sheen. There's a, um, a scene with Aziraphale, <laughs> uh, I think in like the second to last episode, that just completely like stole my heart i was just oh no i was like oh my god i love him like oh my god i'm excited for you to experience it because uh my heart just welled up and i was like oh my god i want to embrace so him excited. and give and feed him <laughs> oh he's so good yeah i mean i can already tell like there are already some moments that i think should have been like edited or edited down and i almost wonder if like neil gaiman was kind of like we can't cut this yeah um and I'm like, okay, but you could have because yeah. it's a TV show and not a book. The, um, the series feels very much like it has something to prove. 
Yes, which I, I can see being the attitude behind the scenes, just, like, given the fact that, like, you know, with Terry Pratchett's passing and stuff and, like, him giving Neil Gaiman his blessing, it, all, it really does feel like you kind of have to, you're, like, there's a pressure to do it right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I totally get that. And, I mean, so far, again, I'm not finished, but so far I feel like it's it's pros, like, far outweigh the flaws. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you like it, Anya. Yeah, and what about you, HT? What are you really liking this week? Oh, I really like. Okay, well, my really likes are just continuing to be obsessed about my other really likes that I've been talking about. So I can't talk <laughs> about those. And, you know, that's Fruits Basket, which I already ranted to you guys about. And uh, Fleabag, which I also ranted to you guys about. So I'm just going to talk about a piece of news that I'm really excited about and I heard today. Um, and then it's that the Studio Ghibli theme park is in development. And this is actually a theme park that has been in the works for a while. I think back in 2017, 2018, there was um, a little murmurings around it. In 2018, there was concept art that came out for the theme park. And uh, now they um, Ghibli has finally partnered with uh, local partners and the local government to actually develop the park uh, for opening in 2022. And um, I'm just really excited, guys. Do you know where it's going to be? Um, it's going to be at the old... 2005 World Fair um, grounds. So where is that exactly? Uh, Nagoya. Oh, Nagoya. Yeah. Oh, nice. So yeah, because Nagoya basically has the castle, and that's it. So mm-hmm. that'll that that's good for Nagoya. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, does, it doesn't doesn't have a whole lot going for it. But uh. yeah, I'm yeah. It, it'll have a. I'm sure it'll boost plenty of the tourism there. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I just I can't wait. I'm I'm really want to go see it, and um, I'm. When I was in Japan, I didn't have the chance to go see the Studio Ghibli Museum because it's just, it's yeah, so yeah. small and uh, like very small it's window. A, it's a little bit out of the way as well. And, yeah. it, and and you do have to like buy the tickets in advance and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, but um, I'm hoping you have to have a level of Japanese to be able to. Yeah, I don't, I don't have that. Some degree. Yeah. yeah. But um, I'm hoping by the time the Ghibli theme park comes out, I will be able to visit it and, and uh, do a whole extended vacation vacation you know in the in the country so i'm just i'm so excited i can't wait to be spirited away <laughs> once again hey ponyo <laughs> yeah that's Anya? it <laughs> no, oh no he, i he said ponyo oh ponyo <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to do a pun on the ti- on any of the other titles, so I just said Ponyo. I appreciate that, even if I hate puns. Well, too late, Anya. You're friends with me. I know yeah, a lot. Of, all of my friends. All of my friends love puns. I mean, my girlfriend right now is giving me the most unimpressed look ever. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, let's end this before you guys torture me with more puns or yeah. Pokemon ghosts or any other thing that has been very upsetting this episode. Pokemon <laughs> ghosts? Yeah. Uh, okay. Pokemon, go to the polls. All right, let's wrap this shindig. <laughs> I'm really happy you got that in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that is our very distressing episode. <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed it. If you guys want to chat with us about Pokemon or anything that we're really digging this week, including podcasts like You're Wrong About, Carly Jepsen's new album, Pixar trailer for Onward, 
Um, what did I say? I said Good Omens, which I love, obviously, even if I can't remember it. Um, and the thing that HT said. The Studio Ghibli theme park. The Studio Ghibli theme park. Guys, it's we been talked, a long day. We talked about a lot of things. It's Friday. We're not recording on Sunday. It's, 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 it, it's in the whole week. Listen, just come chat with us about anything and everything. And where can they do that, Willoughby? Well, uh, interesting you asked that. You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can rate, review, subscribe, and listen to us on multiple platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. You can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. And where can they find you, Philippa? Um, I don't have a public Twitter, but if you message Anya, it will get to me. Message <laughs> <laughs> me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, message Anya. So fine. find Anya I'm, on Twitter. I, I, will have a, I will hopefully have a public Twitter and public presence online uh, after I finish my exam. Um, which is at the start of July because I am planning to start a writing blog. Uh, mm, sometimes. Fun. Right. So I'll get that. Up. Good luck on your exam, Philippa, and thank, thank you for joining us today. And thank you. yeah, and thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.